today's guest is good friend Greg Brown. Greg discusses his start in the industry as a busboy at Red Lobster, his time spent following the Grateful Dead and living out west, and eventual return to Kitchener-Waterloo. Greg talks about working at Garrett's, Mrs. Robinson's, Circus Room, Ethel's Lounge, and his current job in sales at Wellington Brewery. We cover topics such as poaching staff from other bars, competition amongst bars, and making the transition from serving and bartending to sales. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. I'm your host. With me once again, Dan Soretta, producer of the show. How are you doing, Dan? Still doing awesome, thanks. Yourself? Just can't help it. Just (laughs) can't help it. Uh, I'm doing all right. We're just hopefully waiting for some of these bars and restaurants to open up so I can get back to work and stop uh, Uh, watching TV all day. Working's overrated. Working's for chumps, man. Yeah, well, don't know what you got till it's gone, my friend. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, we have a great guest for you today on the podcast, a great old friend and former work wife of mine, um, Mr. Greg Brow. Uh, how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing all right, friend. I can't complain. Yeah, well, what are you going to do, right? No one's going to listen. We're all got <laughs> the same fucking complaints. So. You know what? Yeah, that's exactly it. Everyone's going to say the same thing, so there's no point except start thinking positive now, right? Uh, okay, so we'll try and provide a little diversion from all the shitstorm that our world's become lately uh, and talk about uh, the service industry. Uh, so, Greg, you grew up here in Kitchener-Waterloo, correct? I uh, sure did. Yeah, I was actually born in Montreal and then uh, ended up moving here when I was about, uh, I think it was three years old when I moved here for my father's work. So never really knew much about Montreal. Can't speak French, so don't even ask me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, more or less, yeah, I grew up here 100%. And so you say that you started in, uh, well, according to the bio you sent me, so you started working at uh, the first Red Lobster in Kitchener-Waterloo. Yeah, so they uh, the first one in Kitchener-Waterloo, they opened up on Weber Street, uh, which is Weber University, which is a pretty uh, pretty main intersection here oh. in, in Waterloo, actually. And uh, it was the original spot of the Ponderosa Steakhouse there. Oh. Then, it no, switched no, no, over to, then it switched over to uh, Red Lobster, and now it's, now it's the home of Wendy's. But uh, I was 15 years old. I saw the ad in the paper. And because uh, back then, when you looked for jobs, you looked in the newspaper, there was no right. internet or like that, right? So I thought, Actually, you know what? I had to drag your ass down there and apply as opposed to just like shooting off an email. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I had to go down there in person. This yeah. is an aside that reminds me of uh, the great matriarch of uh, the place we worked at, Essel's Lounge. She used to tell me about how when people would call in and like they'd call in at like six o'clock on a friday night and be like hey you guys hiring and she was just literally like hang up like and uh, <laughs> and it's perfect because the truth is if you're too fucking lazy to drag your ass down there and if you know so little about the service industry that that's the time you think is a good time to apply for a job i can't tell you how many resumes i've crumpled up and thrown out just because of the timing of the people who walk in because you just know they don't have a clue right yeah 100 you know we'll get to it later to tell yeah. you about ethels and all that but uh, oh yeah man I, that's uh that's a classic move when people come into that time and you look that, at it, you give face and then throw it out. So that building that you're talking about, he's mentioned that it was a Ponderosa, which was a big, cheap, shitty Canadian steakhouse, uh, yeah. if, if you can even call it that. And then Red Lobster, Wendy's. Do you feel like that, like that, was there something about that building that's perfectly designed for that kind of like lowest common denominator chain type restaurant or... Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think they went in there and uh, they saw the opportunity because... I remember when Ponderosa went under, 
and uh, it was vacant. And I knew that the Red Lobster chain was coming up from the U.S. and they were looking around in Waterloo. And at that time, I think that was the only space that could fit it. They didn't really have to do much outfitting. Uh, kitchen's already the, there. You got your kitchen husband. was already there. It was already designed to be a restaurant. So mm. at that point, if a chain from the U.S. is going to come, they don't need a designer come and, and build do the build out of that. It was sort of the, obviously they moved it around for what their specifications were. But yeah, it uh, it was kind of set right. There was parking, which is a key thing, as we all know. You need a lot of space because you're going to do a shit ton of tables in there, right? So yep. uh, and the other thing um, that I find too, like just as an aside, is like. God, I mean, if you can find a place that already used to be a bar or restaurant, if you're looking to open a place, like I've done two now, and both times they were not, the spaces were just nothing before we, well, one was a retail shop and the other one was literally at like a, a basement. Um, and God, like the fuck, the fucking amount of uh, surprise money that you end up spending in places like that to try and build it, like if it's oh, not set up for it. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And yeah, um, so yeah, so obviously that was a smart move by yeah, you know, they could, it was already plumbed and everything for plumbing for a restaurant with grease and all that, but you know what I mean? So yeah. obviously you can move the bar around or do whatever, but it's already, like you said, you went into a place that wasn't like that. Now it is, that's already built that way. So the plumbing's already geared towards like an industrial sort of restaurant style, right? So, right, so when Sugar Run goes fucking belly up, somebody else is really going to benefit. <laughs> uh, no, hey, let's not talk that. We're not there yet. Let's talk that. Uh, so you started as a busboy. You're only 15. Um, yeah, yeah um, it was... It was kind of a cool thing when I got the job, you know, you went in and uh, I knew a couple other people, like some of my brother, my brother is a couple of years older than me. And some of his friends were going in as servers and that and, and bartenders and that. So I felt comfortable because when I was having the meeting, I knew some of the people. Um, so when I got the call saying, yeah, we want you to do uh, be a bus boy. And I was like, okay, I'm all in. And uh, I remember the first day I walked in there, I was nervous as shit. You know, I had done odd jobs mm. for friends, you know, cutting their lawns or whatever, but this was, the first time that it was a real job mm. and you know, I'm going to have to deal with the public. So it was, uh, it was kind of neat. And I got the call and I went in, I remember the first day walking through that door and everyone that got hired was in that building at that time. Right. I remember those old things that, that, um, walking in with like your first orientation meeting and there's literally like 20, 25 new people all starting at the same time. You got to meet them all and everybody's just as lost as you are. That's a good thing. That was exactly it, because no one, the thing about it is Red Lobster had never been up here. I'd never been in Kitchener-Waterloo or Canada. Like, obviously, right. they were moving into Canada, but Kitchener-Waterloo, especially Waterloo, had never seen anything like that. So, yeah, we all went in there, the big orientation, and, you know, what it was is, uh, let's say, 50 people were hired, 25 sat and pretended like they were eating and all that and being guests. The other 25 worked as if it was you were working a business. So, what they did is you would go outside. We all went outside, so there'd be like a team A, a team B. Team mm -hmm. A goes in as if they're working. So, you know, let's say I was you or Kip, you were the bartender. Well, your bartender was Dan. You know, you'd be one of the servers. We get the cooks in there, so they literally were cooking and pre preparing like as if it was a full-on dinner service. And then myself were outside, and I was the guest, and I was handed a piece of paper, and it tells you what to do, what to act. So we walked in and they'd say, how many, you know, oh, there's three of us. You sit down and at the table, what they did was there was a menu there and it told you exactly what you had to order with the yeah. other person had to order. So it was sort of like a mock run of how it would go to see how it worked. Best part about it was 
shit, I got to eat for fucking free. Right. But that's, a, that's actually a really good system, though. I didn't, I never worked anywhere where they did that. That's, uh, I mean, I guess, but if you're training on so many people at the same time, how else do you do it, really? That's right. And it was awesome. And then you sat there like you were, you know, and then the bus boy would come around or the bus girl would come around, bartender, server, you know, they were all there. And then when you were done, you filled out your comment of how they were supposed to do better, what you thought could be changed. And then it was a role reversal and you switched. Yes, then I went on the floor. I right. was the bottom person. It's the first time ever you had to use one of those oaky fucking things. You know those oaky things? The little, they clean up uh, crumbs on carpets. Have you ever seen yeah, those? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, I never even knew what it was. And then they, you know, the good thing is they told you what it was. I'm like, a hokey. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What does that even mean? Well, I'm sure that anyone under the age of uh, 40 is asking that same question right now if they're listening. Uh, <laughs> that thing doesn't exist anymore. It's either. like a crumb collector vacuum cleaner that doesn't turn on. So you don't <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, now I'm just going to kind of put uh, your next spot to get in the same category because you sort of did the same job. It was at Ruben and Wong's, um, which was oh. a restaurant in University yeah. Plaza by which is University Plaza is like the big sort of plaza for all the students. It's right sort of in between University of Waterloo and Laurier uh, here in town. Um, but you did the same job there, but you added hosting duties as well. Um, did you t- tell me about a working, what you feel like you work, learned working at like these big chain type restaurants and B because we've had other people on the show uh, talking about like what they learned from like how, how, Busing and hosting really taught them about the industry and prepared them to be servers in the future. Yeah, you know the the thing about working for a chain, it's it's it's. <laughs> I would never do it again. Uh, yeah, you know, but you do learn a lot because they do have a lot of standards. They do train you, you know, in a certain way. You have to follow their certain rules. Now, do I agree with all their rules? No. Do I think it's it's uh, regimented? Yeah, I don't. You know, I. But you follow along. So being that young, 15, when I started, then 16, you know, you learn a little bit and, and you grow in that. So when I went over to Ruben and Wong's, I was in high school. And actually, my brother went up there and worked and a bunch of people worked there. You know, a lot of people you would, you guys would probably know, too. Um, and I became a busboy there. I wasn't old enough to serve. And then I started hosting. So they, well, I was the first male host uh, to greet people because I used to work on my lunch break. And in high school, I used to have like half days. So I would go school in the morning and do that you know so what i learned you know you learn a lot from that because you know i i I was a little older i was like 17 18 and at that point it was like you know i kind of like this i'm meeting new people Mm -hmm. you know and it was a lot of freedom i got to meet a lot of new people a lot of new ways and you know they started helping me out you know you'd sit with the bartender they teach you and that you know but corporate you know it's just just you know, you got to write a you got to write a letter if you have a complaint. Right. You, know, you can go and talk to your manager, but that manager is sort of like me, but it's got to go to someone else. And you have to write a formal thing, and then you sit with a formal meeting. You know, I wasn't into that, but it it taught me that you know you got to have some respect for these people. Like if you don't have respect for the elders and the people you're working with, it's it's just not going to work. And yeah. if you start bitching and complaining and and act irrational, you know, then you're just asking for a world of hurt and trouble in the long run. It's just not going to, it's not going to work. It's an interesting point too, about the corporate thing with middle management is very different than, because every spot generally has some sort of middle management, unless it's very, very tiny and the owners just take care of it themselves. But like a middle manager at like a huge corporate type restaurant like that is 
the, the level of authority and power that you have to make any significant changes is so much different than being a middle manager at like, say, Sugar Run, where my middle manager actually has a lot of authority and I give him like free reign to pretty much do almost whatever he wants because I trust sure. him. But in, in a place like that, they don't really have, like you can go complain to them, but what the fuck can they do really? Yeah, they're not doing anything because they're going to go to corporate office. It's like any right. job I think out there, right? Head office and head people have the final say of it. You know me, I just saw you say it to him. I'm like, okay, cool. Meanwhile, the dude's 23 years old and they gave him a managerial role because, right. hey, you've been working well. Way to go. Good job, yeah. partner. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Now it's just more trouble for that guy. And he's got to take the brunt of the owner telling him what he has to do, right? So. Yeah, like if, for instance, if, Sugarun, if somebody came to my manager and was like, look, I think the way that we do this whatever it might be like let's just say just for a random example like the way we pass the food through the pass to the servers it's fucked up this would be more efficient my manager could look at that and say okay that's a good idea let's just fucking do that like and boom and it just starts happening whereas in a place like that they're gonna be like too fucking bad that's the way all the red lobsters do it that's right so, that's right you it's it's set in stone you can't change it like you you can't change anything it's just that's right. the rule right that's so it's that's kind of the weird thing, you know. That's the only thing, you know. You learn a little bit of discipline in that, but other than that, it's corporate. You got no sense. So you're saying at this point, though, that you had already started to maybe get the idea that you kind of like the whole working in a restaurant for a living idea. Yeah, you know, I had done retail. I'd worked in a lot of sports stores too, and all that, and doing that. But the thing about the thing, the thing I find, and we can talk more, but with the with the hospitality is that uh, you got a lot of freedom. Like, yeah. as soon as you get out of the corporate, you know, and you know, too, Kip, because you've done it as long as I have, and that when one day is done and whatever bullshit or crap that happened the day before, the next day is a new day. It doesn't drag on. But if you're in the corporate world working behind a desk, that's going to drag out that paperwork. And it was yeah. just sort of the, you know what I like? It was the freedom. And I also yeah. like that they were asking me, what do I want to work? And what do I do instead of saying, hey, you have to work this. Right. And like in the service community, like you say, it's like at the end, you can have a shit night. But when you we always used to say when you're done, you're counting your money, you're drinking your after work beer. It's already forgotten about like you might yeah. you might bitch about a little bit about what happened your night. But by the time you hit, you hit the pillow that night, it's gone. Like, it's over. Yeah. You, know, you, can have, you can have disputes with your co-workers or whatever like that. And, you know, it is what it is. Work is work. Business is business. And when it's said and done, friends are friends and you let it go. If you hang on it and you keep it on, well, then, you know, there's another issue underlying. But other than that, once it's done, it's done. And that's what I like. Yeah. I like that freedom the, 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 to do what I wanted. Okay. So you worked at, at um, uh, so then you go out west for a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was, so after that, I went to college. Uh, in Brampton, Ontario for a little bit. And then I, I uh, left there and went over to university at McMaster University in Hamilton. And what did and, you study? Uh, what's that? What did you study? Well, I started off in psychology and uh, I did a lot of psychology. And in my last year, I could not for the fucking life of me pass cognitive psychology. I did it three times. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of burned out. And I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm done. I'm going to do a geography degree. So I did a geography degree in one year. Oh, and wow. I graduated. I was out. So when I went to university, I worked at McMaster Sports. I wasn't serving at that time. Uh, so I took a little bit of a break out of the industry. Uh, and as uh, you know, but uh, your guests don't know, I, uh, late 80s, 89, 90, I became a big fan of the Grateful Dead. And uh, <laughs> at that point, I decided to start going around in the uh, USA 
and uh, to follow the Grateful Dead and that. So any spare time I had, I was doing that. I went on tour. I quit my jobs in the summer and after school. And uh, I would uh, I took a summer tour and went to Pittsburgh, Chicago, Indiana, Ohio, Buffalo, and back home. So sort of a little East Coast tour. So then I went out west. I wanted to see. Okay, my uh, hang on. I got. I got to stop you there. And t- yeah. could you just tell our listeners about what how you made your money during these tours? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to pay for your gas to get around. So I was the driver because I love driving, and I know I can get home safe. Uh, I used to sell uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, veggie grilled cheese sandwiches, on a Coleman stove while sitting on my skateboard. And, uh, since, and you said you said you went out of the service industry. I guess I'm my entrepreneurial and started my own business. Started. Yeah. So uh, I was also with a good buddy, my uh, my good friend Bill Gurney, as you both know, Dan and Jeff. Uh, and he uh, used oh. to make T-shirts, and he would sell those. So we used to pay for our gas, and whatever. And on the tour, you know. I'm sure a lot of people have read about it. You know, you do a lot of bartering. So if I was thirsty, you barter and you switch and, you know, you trade and all that. So Trading sandwiches for beers and acid. Trade sandwiches for beers and that and get by, right? <laughs> so, trade, it for a whip, trade it for a whip it. See how that thing goes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And then when it's all done, you can discuss whether the um, guitar solo in trucking was better than the one from the night before. <laughs> that's right. And then, yeah, that's right. And then contemplate, what are they going to play tonight? It's like, yeah, you're trying to guess out of fucking whatever. So, so then I decided I went out West. I took, uh, in between my going into my last year of university, I just needed to get out. So I went out to uh, Vancouver and that's where I started. Uh, I needed a job. Uh, you know, and I don't know if a lot of your guests know to live in Vancouver. It's very expensive. Yeah. Uh, you buy a thing of bananas here for two in Kitchener-Waterloo for three ninety nine out in Vancouver. They're six ninety nine. It's double. It's a lot to live out there. So, I had money, but got a job, and I was the first. <laughs> the I worked at a place called the Red Robin Burger Emporium. Now I'm going to tell you this fucking place. Holy <laughs> shit! I uh, I was. They hired me. The only reason is because the general manager, really nice guy, his name was Peter. I'll never forget him. He was from Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, which is, as you know, sort of in be here and in between Kitchener and Toronto, a little bit north. Um, and uh, he liked me. I was from Ontario, and I he hired me. I had a beard. I shaved it off. I had my long hair into the middle of my back from my uh, traveling with the Great Blood. I was the first long-haired guy that they had hired in their corporation in Vancouver. Oh, so it was it was a corporate place as well. Yeah, it was a corporate. It was a burger emporium with 45 different styles of fucking burgers to remember. And that was literally my first serving job. I'd never served before. So, like, uh, this is an interesting aside. So, for the hair, like, if they generally before you would like they just not hire people with long hair would it be like cut your fucking hair if you want to work here yeah cut your hair they didn't want any long hair in there but you know what i slipped it back when i went in i knew i was smart enough to realize you're not going to have it all straggly and rude you know you slick it back you tie it back to it so you look presentable i knew that i'm I'm smart enough to know that yeah other people maybe not but i did it Uh, i had a little scruff and uh they no word of a lie this is how fucking weird this place was if you had any growth on your hair like stubble or anything on your beard you had to shave it they gave you a brand new razor and you had to shave it they gave you a razor yeah, oh, just, holy fuck. Give me a razor. What was it? The fucking New York Yankees? Like, <laughs> right? it, was, it was the most bizarre thing. And I thought they were fucking kidding, but nope, here was the razor. I opened it up. It was like a shitty Bic, you know, the Bic razors, the cheap plastic yeah. ones. And I'd ha- I had to shave before I went on the floor. It was the most, 
it was the most most bizarre thing I'd ever had. So that was literally my first serving job. That was the first time working with a crazy like I think it was Squirrel. Squirrel's the uh, the computer system that you use yes. back in the day. I've used Squirrel. Um, it's unnecessarily complicated. Out of the yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. That was my first job out there, right? So Let's talk about Squirrel for a little bit, actually, because now um, a lot of places uh, it's become very streamlined. Like you can get your entire POS system, point of sale system, from an app. Like at Sugar Run, we use, for instance, Touch Bistro. And it's just so simple. You just download this app, you pay a subscription fee, and it's like, it's, it was something clearly designed by people who worked in the industry. So it's, like, it's just so user-friendly if you're a, a restaurant or a bar. But back then, Squirrel, for instance, was a system where it's like, I, met, I remember using it at a nightclub that I worked at. And you, you almost have to, it's like, you have to hit six buttons to punch in like bottle of Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Romenko. Romenko was the same. Oh, sort of Romenko. Like, you oh, used Romenko, I, right? I used Romenko, yeah. The Rev, the flying dog there. Yeah. What a fucking joke that was. And you had to remember the codes. Oh, yeah. Every, instead of like, say, instead of punching a button that said like, say, beer, beer <laughs> you would have a code for that button that was like 384. Yeah. And you just have to memorize and, it. And they weren't in sequential order either. Yeah. That's interesting. We haven't talked a whole lot about um, point of sale systems. So let's, uh, let's, we can explore that for a little bit. Like, <sighs> In my experience, and uh, we can talk about this more in more detail when we get to the Ethel's Lounge part of your career, but sometimes just fucking simpler is better. Like sometimes a handwritten note to the kitchen to the kitchen works, and like just. But what thing? What those point of sale um, systems don't have is the accounting of everything that's going out, right? Right. Yeah, and back at that time, to get the ones that also like would track what you were selling so you could match it to your inventory and know that your staff isn't ripping you off is um, the, like, the, 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 the systems were much more rudimentary. So they didn't, they weren't user-friendly. They could track what you did, but for, for you as the server trying to handle a busy section, they're fucking impossible. It was terrible. And you said it exactly. It was good for them for their inventory, but that's what corporate corporate did, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't know any better. And you, you said it exactly. You hit it right on the nail head that it wasn't good for servers. Bartenders, whatever. You're behind the bar. You might ring in a fucking order of French fries or a burger or whatever. But for servers, yeah, you would stand there. I remember the amount of times I would stand there just waiting for someone to punch in the order. And they'd be like, well, I got a group of eight people. Uh, three adults and like four kids and the kids need this, that, this, this, you can't do this. You can't have that. So they're trying to punch it in and it's, you wait, you wait. And the problem with it was that I found was that if you messed it up, I still was running back to the kitchen going, I didn't mean to hit that. Right. I didn't mean to hit that. I'm sorry. I can't find avoid it because I'm way too busy to stand there right. and take time to deal with this. Like I'd rather be on the floor talking to my customers and they making a better relationship and making more money off them right. than sitting there for 20 minutes on the screen. And, and if you, if you messed up your order or you wanted to add, just, I just want mustard. I can't find number four, nine, five mustard button. Right. I mustard. How easy is it? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and uh, so um, it's good to talk about this because like those are the dark, the dark ages of POS systems. Like when we started doing this shit. So that's why so many places just went to like the easiest thing, like an old fashioned cash register, write everything down. But then you open you you do open yourself up to like more theft from. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and I do think that we can all admit that, like, like, I know I own a bar like 
if somebody wants to, so works from you for you wants to steal from you in this industry, they can do it. Yeah. Like I don't care how good your inventory yeah. system is because you're dealing with so much spillage. Yeah. And like you know, like people knock over a drink, people return a drink, they make it improperly. Well, that's just gone. It's like, and you can account for spillage, but you can also right. you can also hang out behind the bar, do a shot with all your, you and all your buddies, and count that as spillage. Like, yeah. there's always ways you can do. It. I, I sh- maybe I shouldn't be talking about this in case anybody works for me. Is working. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, they already know. <laughs> uh, uh, Dan and everybody out there, if you're listening, you do that. Do not do that. But yeah, so, but, but with a, with back then with like a, like a more rudimentary system, like you really open yourself up for it because like nothing's really being accounted for in a system. Yeah. It's just, I like eyeballing a bottle and being like, okay, so many ounces are missing or whatever. Right. Right. Get a ruler out as you and I know and look at it and go, oh, we got many of this. Well, what's that even mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the old ruler system. We've all worked with that. One. Right. Oh. Unless you have a scale and you're really that, and you really spend time. But you know, yeah. So, yeah, the Romenko and all that squirrel and all that was just, you know, it was what it was. But now, you know, as technology has gotten better, obviously it's gotten better, right? As you yeah. know, you get the iPad Correct. or whatever, and you can get the system, and it's yeah. quicker, right? So, um, so that place, this uh, Red Robin. What kind of a like? Obviously, you're doing a lot of turnover, I'm guessing, in a place like that. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, my uniform, I'm going to tell you this, is kind of embarrassing. And I'm going to say one thing that uh, I am so glad there is not one photo of me, what I had to wear when I worked there. <laughs> oh, and why? I think you, I think you, because you and I have known each other for a long time. I'm sure I've told you because uh, I never knew. Uh, thank God they gave me a job because I needed money. But I had to wear, are you ready, listeners? <laughs> blue blue polyester pants with black socks black shoes a white long sleeve corporate shirt with their logo on the left breast it's getting better a red apron with their logo right at my neck then to top it off red suspenders uh, and the finale, a little nice red bow tie oh beautiful and, and you had that you know me. You guys know me. I'm wearing a white corporate shirt with red suspenders, a red bow tie, red apron, blue polyester pants, and hot Ozark and black dress shoes. Worst shoes ever. Luckily, you already had that outfit from touring with the dead. So <laughs> it sounds, sounds more like a Chippendales outfit. <laughs> oh That's right. God. That's amazing. Yeah, um, it was just a burger. It was a burger emporium. They had forty-five different styles of burgers, so we won't drag on. It was just, you know, there was just so many different skews and so many different numbers that you had to punch because do this, do that, do this. You know, it was just sort of whatever. But it, you know, it was a big company out there. It was sort of like Earls. Earls is another big corporation out that way too in the West Coast. Um, but this was sort of not. This would be compared to like like a, like back then when Casey's at Kelsey's. You know, sort of that style, like maybe a Montana's, not like a, a Wildcraft or something from the tribal right. group here in Kitchener. You know what I mean? It was sort yeah. of like not there, but just down a bit. So. Uh, gotcha. And But it was a job. It was but a job. you're doing a lot of, like, would you, I'm guessing you probably had a pretty big section. You're doing a lot of turnover in that section. Yeah, you know, you'd think you get a lot of big section, but in the corporate, you know, I think my tables were really maybe five tables. Right. You know, I wanted more because I know I could do it as I got more comfortable. Um but I think it might have been five tables if I could remember. 
Uh, I guess that's right, right? Like people got cut as the night went on. You know, you pick up more, right? So. That, but that's the thing. Like, I guess the, the, when you're working for like a corporation, they don't care how many fucking people they got staffed. So no. they would rather overstaff and have know that everyone's getting the best possible service. Yeah, and because they don't mind paying the, the labor. Um, that's so, right. Yeah. So yeah. you you really have to work on table turnover at that point. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. So before we switch off of this, after the Red Robin fiasco up there, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, so I worked there, but honestly, there was no... Back then, when I worked out there in the early 90s, there was a lot of um, people from Ontario, and I don't know if you guys remember this, going out west to get jobs and going to hang out because it's cool to go and live out in Vancouver. Oh, so right? Every, right? Everyone was doing it. And I remember I worked there, and I wish I could remember this guy's name, but he literally hated me because i was from ontario i remember i had to work with him i want to say his name was phil i can picture him now that fat son of a anyways <laughs> he literally had the audacity he came up to me and he literally looked at me and i you know i'm the nicest guy he looked at me he goes you know what i can't stand you you're annoying you should not be here you're stealing my our, our jobs out here in bc you're from ontario i know that i can't believe you're doing this my friend should have this job but you stole his job and i remember verbatim i i, I was i was kind of taken back wow. and i remember i finally i took i think i took a minute and you know because i i don't like confrontation and i i sort of stood back and i'm like holy shit and i looked at him and i went you know what fuck you obviously your friend <laughs> doesn't have qualifications yeah. and i'm the one that got the job so yeah sorry dude and, you know, I don't normally say that. I went to the general manager. I said, this is what just happened to me. You know, I'm fine, but I don't want to work with this guy again. So you might want to readjust your schedule or get the manager to readjust right. the schedule so that we don't work together. And that was it. So that's, that was, um, that's, uh, fuck, that's why I wonder if that was like, that might have been a prevailing sentiment at the time out there because there were so many people coming out east, going out west at that time. And they uh, all... Huge. They all took the service jobs because those were the jobs you could get. But that guy just fucking said the quiet part out loud. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was exactly it. Yeah. And at that point, there weren't a whole lot of jobs in Ontario, but in BC and the West Coast was hiring, right? So, but yeah. But whatever. Yeah, I learned a lot. That was my first serving job. And that was the bang. And, you know, that was the first feeling. Sure, when I was a busboy and a host, you know, you get a little tip, you tip out. You know, you tip yeah. everyone that works at you or whatever. You know, I get a little walking around cash. But that was the first time that I felt that money in my hand and went, all right, if I can make this. And I was the first person to say, hey, I'll work every day because I got all this money. Like, holy shit, yeah. I'm leaving this day and I got free money. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the, one of the beauty, uh, most beautiful parts about our job is that if you like the place that you work at, and like, you're always going to have shit days. You always have shit customers. Yeah. But like, if you like the place that you work at in general and you like the people that you work with and then you like it's almost like it can be almost even though it's stressful sometimes it can be almost like a social experiment like it can be your social life just going to work yeah, so if you're like if yeah so if you're going to work and you're like it's like your social life uh then and you're also making great cash at the same time it's like yeah that's why we all get sucked in i think it's like not even working no, yeah. Like the great right. spots are not even working. That's it's our like not even working. That's, that's exactly it. We'll talk later when we talk yeah. about alcohols and that, and that's exactly it. Yeah. Well, okay. So you um, so you come back this way, obviously. Uh, you just had enough out west and wanted to come back home. Well, you know, I came back. I decided I'll do my last year in university, and that's when I decided. I think it was in August. I'm going back. I figured I've already I've already done three of my years. I'm going to go back. I'm done with I'm done with psychology. I'm going to go back. I need to get done university. I'm not going to spend all that money. Back then it was, 
to me, it was a lot of money, but now yeah. it's in comparison, it's not a lot of money. So I went back to my last year of school. That's when I did the geography degree and done. Get me the hell out of this thing. And I don't that want to was in Hamilton? That was in Hamilton and McMaster. Yeah. That's right. And then that was it. I was done. Thank right. God. Yeah. And then so, so you finish up and then you come back to Kitchener. And yep. this is when you start working at a pretty famous little spot in Kitchener called Garrett's Tavern. Yeah, uh, that's right. So, yeah. It was a lot of talent came through that spot. Yeah, you know, that was one of the first sort of, I think, in this city, one of the first little independent bars, kind of funky, kind of cool, kind of different than what that what the city had seen before. You know, sure, we had the circus room. We'll talk about that because I worked there. But, you know, you had that. But it was kind of that first thing other than... Because back then, there were not really that many bars and restaurants, right? So it was no. just... Around what, year? what Around what year was that? So that would have been around 90... Well, I got graduated in 94. So I was there probably around 94 when they opened up. 94, okay. 95, they were doing that. Yeah. Nice. And that right so down I graduated, Kitchener, right? I, yeah, downtown Kitchener and literally down an alley. And you know what? No word of a lie. I more or less grew up in Kitchener Waterloo all my time. I didn't hang in downtown Kitchener a whole lot. I used to skateboard down there. But it was one of those streets. It was off a side street, Scott Street, and uh, down an alley, sort of. And all of a sudden, there were all these little homes. I think, the, what was it, like seven or eight little white homes? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were there. And where Garrett's went in was actually an existing, back to that, an existing restaurant, which was the original location of Janet Lynn Bistro, which is still active today in Kitchener. Right. So oh, they went true. there because Janet Lynn Bistro moved because they wanted to get a little more um, view, more, more, you know, because it's down an alley. It's kind of downtown Kitchener. Yeah, they wanted, yeah. Yeah. They wanted to move. So they moved uptown Waterloo and Garrett's. Somewhere, somewhere you can get a little more foot traffic because they ended up coming. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm that's the yeah. 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 So, uh, okay, so Garrett's is a pretty cool spot. And that must have been definitely way more up your alley as the type of person you are. Like, um, yeah. it's just more, more relaxed vibe, independent spot, like, no, no more dealing with any other corporate bullshit. No. You're just yeah. you're you're working for some. Who, who owned that place? Well, that's right. That's it. I was done with corporate. So that it was a guy by the name of Gary Knight and his wife Diane. And Gary Knight, a quick little bit. Gary uh, used to work for the Kitchener Waterloo Record, which is our local newspaper here in Kitchener. And uh, all those guys, the Kitchener people, the record people, used to all get together on Fridays when the work week's done. I'm sure a lot of companies, you know, businesses, you know, everyone that works together do that. So they used to go to a place called the Circus Room, what I mentioned earlier. And they used to go and sit in there on Friday afternoons and listen to music, drink some beers, talk their week, bitch about what their life is like. And Gary used to watch uh, Glenn Smith, who I believe you've had on the podcast We before. have, yeah. Um, who owned this, he was the owner of it, and watched Mr. Glenn Smith hang out and party like it was his backyard or basement clubhouse. Yeah. You know, and to the average person, when 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 someone sees that, they're like, that guy's awesome. Oh, my God, he owns this place and he's having this much fun? Glenn used to stand on the bar up there, God forbid. Now he couldn't even climb up a stool. But <laughs> he... He, 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 uh, he used to get up on the bar and he used to have such a good time and Gary used to look and watch him and go, holy shit, that's what I want my life to be. I don't want to sit in the office behind a computer, the old school computers, working for the Kitchener Waterloo record, blah, blah, blah. I want a bar. Yeah, Glenn made it look good for all of us. <laughs> yeah, right? He sure did. 
and he made it look easy. But yeah. yet, did he know? Little did he know, there's other people in the background right. taking care of stuff, taking care of the accounting, counting bottles, counting this, food, ordering. Little like Glenn didn't do anything. He was the name. He's the, he's as I call him, like the MC, the the greeter, the friendly guy that yeah. everyone loves, you know, and talks stories. So. He, at that point, I don't know what year, it must have been 94 when the Kitchener Wally record at that time was restructuring and reformatting, and I think technology was moving a little forward, that what happened was they offered him and people that worked there an early uh, retirement, early buyout. So if you okay. want to leave, there's no penalty. You can get all your money, and you're good. So at that point, I obviously, Gary and he talked to his wife and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm out. I'm taking my money. I got a good chunk of money, I'm sure, and left the record. And hello, I'm going to open a bar because if Glenn Smith, that guy can do it, I can do it too. Right. Like I said, little did you know, there's a lot more. So that's who owned it, Gary Knight. That's and, a good story, though. And uh, but yeah. and and uh, so, how did you find him as an owner? Do you feel like that? Like I, I, you don't have to say anything bad about him. I know you like the guy, whatever. But it's like the like. Because you always hear these people all the time, and we, you and I, have dealt with it a million times in our lives in this industry where it's like, everybody thinks they can just go fucking open a bar. Cause like uh, they know how to, I drink in bars, I eat in restaurants. I know how to do this. Right. Yep. So yep. The, the main key is getting people to, who know how to do it for you. If that's how, if that's what you want to do, like Glenn does. Yep. So, yep. so, so what happened was Gary <laughs> literally poached Glenn's manager from the circus room. And she came over and was the manager for Garrett's, for Gary. And so Gary that? already knew her previous and dealt with her when he right. used to go to the circus room every Friday, right? So, so uh, he, and who was that? Uh, who was that manager? So that was, uh, her name is uh, Melissa Balahura, Missy Balahura. Right. Okay. So, uh, and she went on to do a bunch of shit, including like opening the Belmont here in Belmont Village. She's yeah. a great person. Um, the, so she, uh, okay, let's talk about that for a little bit though. Yeah. Where do you land on this whole poaching thing? Yeah, you know, it was, you know, at that point it was kind of weird, but, you know, she was done with it. Um, I don't think he really poached it. He just proposed it to her. And I think for her, it was a new opportunity. And he gave her an opportunity to say, this is more or less your restaurant. You can do whatever you want. I trust you. I have the money. You can make the menu. You can do this. You can do that. So it's, is it a poach? Yeah. Was Glenn mad? I don't think so. I've never asked Glenn because there's no point in bringing it back up. Right. Um, but you know what? It's, it's, it's only bad. It's, it's not bad, but if someone's ready to leave somewhere, then that's what you want to do. And she wanted okay. a new opportunity and she saw a bigger future for it. Okay. Yeah. So that's an interesting way to talk about it because uh, like I've been on both sides of this um, as an owner and as someone who works in a place and I like, it's, it's a very fine line because if somebody is not really that happy where they are, then they're probably eventually going to leave anyway. So if you offer them a job and they want to make a change, is that quote unquote poaching or yeah. uh, in addition, like if let's say somebody, what you're saying, you're offering somebody a, a position with more responsibility or like more say in what's going on or maybe even like a piece of the business like when is it like you know what i'm saying like when is it okay yeah. when is it okay yeah. because like and i've had people approach me like when i left ethel's the first time uh 
Well, no, when I left Ethel's for good. No, when you left the first time, you went to Roger's. That's time. right. That was a big mistake. <laughs> when I left <laughs> Ethel's and went to Open Weight Rabbit, um, I was approached by Jess Sharkey, who's also been on this show, to um, see, see if she could come with me and work for me, who became my manager. And she was like, the best manager you could ask for. And uh, but But so technically, you could say I poached her, but... I was approached. So I'm like, if somebody approaches me and wants to make a move, like, what, for are, you sure. supposed, what are you supposed to say? No? Like, yeah, for sure. And that's exactly it. You know, I, I don't know if poach is the right word, but, you know, everyone always just considers it a poach. If they leave one area, right, I, one I, place, I, and then all of a sudden they pop up and they're working another one. Well, it's like, what the hell did you do? Well, obviously there's reasons why. And I guess poach is such a, it's, it's such a broad, wide right. term. But in the industry, that's what people say. Right. But I've also seen people go into restaurants and scout other bartenders and talent and like been like, hey, how would you come work for me? And that's happened that's to me. Poaching. That's, that's poaching, poaching, right? But it's a, like, exactly. And that's happened to me even recently. It's sure, right? Some yeah. jackal came in and was trying to steal my manager to work at this <laughs> mythic, mythical cafe that he was going to open. It didn't. It was nonsense. But 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 I, I, I was still pissed about it because I'm like, yeah. if you're coming into my bar during regular service. We just fucking opened. Like, and you're already trying to steal. Like, so I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing to talk about, but it's like, it's it's such a fine line. What it is okay a fine not, right? Like, yeah, it's a fine line. It's just like poaching is, you know what? Poaching because everyone in the industry, that's what they call, right? If a yeah. new place opens up, everyone wants to go and work at the new place because they know it's going to be busy right off the hop. And it's sure. going to be, oh my God, I'm going to make a ton of money. And I'm not going to say names. I know a lot of people that bounce, to bounce, to bounce, to bounce. And you know them too. And, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, but to blatantly, like you said, come into your restaurant and hunt out that one person and say, I want you to come work with me. That's poaching. I'm taking you yeah. out. Yeah. You know, it's up to the person. If they want to leave, then they leave. So did Missy get poached? I don't know. I think he brought up the idea. I don't think he went in there, but he'd go in there all the time. So I don't know exactly where he said, hey, we're hired. Right. I got, I, you know, I knew that she worked there. I knew she left there. But her difference was she more or less got to design this place how she wanted it to look to run, yeah. to feel, and everything. Gary just had the thing. I think Gary just wanted to say, I'm a bar owner, and this is my place, and all the people from the record would come, and which I, they did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story here that's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it as vague as possible because I don't want anyone, I don't want to burn anyone specifically, but when I was opening one of the places that I opened, I was hanging out in a bar that I frequented all the time, spent a lot of money at. And like, I was like, I did say to one of the bartenders there, I was like, oh, if you're ever interested, like I am opening this place. And I, I was offering them what would be a promotion. It would have been like, I want you to be the manager, right? And uh, so in, and at that point, the, that person was a bartender. Okay, so like, it would have been a promotion for them. To come and so in my mind, I'm like, I'm offering you a different job with more responsibility. If the place you work at comes back and counters was like, no, do that here instead. Fair, but yeah. they, um, the owner of that establishment, I, I guess the the person I asked essentially told the owner, and uh, which is fine. Like I'm not I'm anything, and that owner got that person to come to a ostensible job interview with me to try and get me to because I was opening the place in a, in a similar area and to try and get me to spill the beans about the entire place 
on what I was doing and, and, <laughs> and then turn me down for the job so that they could go back and report. It was literally like a spy mission. I'm like, wow, you are taking this too seriously. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So needless to say, that person didn't end up working with me, but like, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but they didn't want to anyway, but that was the whole right. thing. Like, like that, that's just taking the whole situation a little too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Damn right. Damn right it is. That's, yeah, go away. Go yeah. away. <laughs> and also, there's another thing that we can get into, we've gone into other shows as well, is like competition is good for the bar and restaurant industry. I, I've never understood this fear of owners of like a new bar or restaurant opening up close to them. Yeah, are you probably going to get a little bit of a hit for like a couple weeks in the first two weeks that it's been open? <laughs> Probably because they're going to some people, some of your regular customers are going to go check it out. But what you want is more people coming down to your area. Yeah, like hundred percent. It's only human nature to go and check out what's new, go and hang out yeah. there. But you'll always go back to what you like and where you want to be and where you're from. Hundred percent. Like Uptown Waterloo here, the more the merrier. I'd yeah. rather you come Uptown Waterloo or Downtown Kitchener where you are right now, mm -hmm. Kip, yeah, than go to the Boardwalk as people yeah. don't know, which is which is ways away i don't want you to go up there i want you there and you know what because there's people that are going to your place they're like holy shit i didn't know that place was here hey let's go there after or let's go there next time yeah well and there's two things i'll say about that one i always used to say like talking about my place specifically is that like our con when people would ask me about a new place opening and like i would be like great that's great that's great for downtown kitchener like my competition isn't place x my competition in downtown kitchener is uptown waterloo I yeah. want to bring all the people drinking in Uptown Waterloo down to downtown yeah. Kitchener because yeah. the B side of this is that the industry has changed from a customer-based perspective where, like, back when you and I were growing up and hanging out in bars, we, you would go and sit in a bar with your friends and you would stay in that bar for, like, an, 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 you'd pull an eight-hour shift in the same fucking bar. That. Yeah, those, are the, those are the nights I don't remember at the end. Right. <laughs> but those are also times from the past. Nobody really yeah. wants to sit in the same bar all night anymore. People want to bounce around. So what yeah. you want to do is bring them to your area of town and have yeah. them bounce around in that area. So the more yeah. places in that area, the better for everybody. Yeah, times have changed how when we used to drink back in the day, 100%. Oh. Well, in so many different ways. That's a rabbit hole we can't get down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Down there. Let's talk about so, Garrett's as a spot. Yeah. So, yeah, Garrett's in general. So, talk about Melissa Balhara. So, she went as a manager. Her brother, uh, Rob, uh, was one of my good buddies that I grew up with, and we hung out and all that. So, they needed a bartender mm -hmm. and someone in the industry. So, they knew it. I had already been in the industry. So, they reached out to me, and that literally technically was my, officially, if you want to say it, my first bartending job. Okay. Because, as you know, Garrett's was a, uh, you know, but your, your readers don't or listeners don't, is that it was um, it was a pretty small place. It was two levels, two floors, but uh, we had a patio out front, a uh, small patio, but the inside downstairs was a tiny little bar with, I think, five bar stools and one, two, maybe six six tables downstairs, and then you go upstairs where we used to have live music, and there were a lot more. We had a little bar up there, like a, like a didn't really service anything. It was a coffee station, more or less, like or, a stuff bar. Your, or stuff to put, yeah, satellite bar, or stuff to put your tray, 30 trays on, get your two right. guys down. Um, <laughs> so I more or less got the job because I knew Rob. So then I started bartending. And the thing about Garrett's was, it was one of the first spots, other than the circus room, which which did a lot of live music, as I'm sure your, your listeners have heard from Glenn and that, for downtown. So this was another spot, but we brought in like a lot more acoustic, a lot more 
smaller musicians and, and, and they started getting bigger and better, like a Paul McLeod, God rest his soul, rest in peace. You know, Danny Michelle, uh, you know, Tyler Shaw, you know, there were a lot of Shannon Lyon, which are all local artists around here. Now they, they beat in the bush a lot, but it was kind of a cool hipster, artsy sort of right. because hipster wasn't a word back then. Yeah, but it's, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sort yeah. of same thing, you know, and it, it was just a cool vibe. And the good thing about it was, is our food there was fresh. It wasn't frozen package stuff. Our chef back then was Jeremy Rimmer. A great guy. Uh, he came up with a lot of good creations. Our beer was different. So what Melissa, what Missy didn't want was, you're Canadian, you're Labatt Blue, you're Colesburg, you know, all of a sudden now to me back then, you're seeing different styles of beer. So we had different beers in the fridge. She wanted to have unique beers in the fridge. And then she said, draft, I don't want the Canadian or Coors Light. So we went to the premium beer company, which is a big company around uh, Ontario now. And we had like a Beamish Stout. We had Double Diamond. We had, you know, we didn't really yeah. have, you know, we had Moosehead, which was premium beer company back then. So it was a cool little vibe, fun thing. And everybody got to know everybody there. It was just laid back. And, you know, I didn't know this until after that you used to go there, Kip. And yeah, I, I used to go there I, all the I, time, yeah. And I don't remember seeing you yeah. there, but, you know, it was just everyone that was just, it was a friendly, fun, safe downtown spot to hang out at. And it was cool, man. Yeah. I remember uh, <laughs> I was in university at the time. I was working at the bomb shelter in the campus pub there. And we would go there and it felt like a whole different world because when you're, on campus in Uptown Waterloo, you really only went to like three or four bars and two right. of the bars were on campus. And, yeah. <laughs> and we used to hang out in the bomb shelter almost exclusively. So if we well, went of course. all the way down to downtown to um, downtown Kitchener to this like place was like a little alley and like, and this cool kind of like funky vibe to it. It felt like we were in a different city at the yeah. time. And, it, and we were like, so wild, like we'd get drunk and we would think there were different rules and, be up upstairs in that spot too and thinking that we were in fucking Amsterdam and trying to smoke joints on the fucking right? upstairs part. <laughs> it's like, I remember uh, well, Renee, I Leaves, Renee Leaves who worked there who went out yeah. to help out with Jay Bond and Lola Man and other places and say she was our server one night. I remember we just straight up asked her. We didn't really know her but we were just like cool if we smoke a joint up here she looked at us like we were fucking morons like because of course what a moronic question of course you can at that time you can't smoke a joint in a fucking but we just felt like it was a different planet almost yeah so on that note you know what i don't know if i've ever asked you this i'm sure i have but maybe my memory is old because i'm 50 now how did you how did you kip find out about how did you and your buddies find out about this place downtown kitchener if because you're not from here you're from kingston correct yes yeah so, and you went to only University of Waterloo. So how did you guys find out about this obscure little spot downtown kitchen? Okay, well, two things I can say about that. First, I asked the questions on this fucking show, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and two, uh, I honestly don't know if I can remember how we found out about it. I Obviously, like, I, I, I certainly will not take credit for discovering it. Somebody must have told me about it. So somebody who hung out at the bomb shelter was cool enough to have gone yeah. here and was cool. like, you should check this place out. Yeah. And then once awesome. we found it, then like, yeah. at that point it was, it was the coolest spot in the city probably. Yeah. Guaranteed. It was a yeah. hidden gem. It was kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. Nice. So from there you go and you work at, um, you go back to Hamilton for a little bit and help open up a bar there. Correct. Yeah. So long story short, uh, unfortunately, uh, Gary and his wife uh, realized that uh, 
I won't tell anyone the circumstances um, with how the business, because business, you know, restaurant industry is a tough industry in general. Uh, unfortunately, Gary and Diane had to uh, get rid of the restaurant. Right. Uh, they unfortunately had to sell off their home, sell off stuff to keep it afloat. Uh, and you mentioned Renee leaves. Renee was also uh, a manager with me at Carrots. I ended up being a bartender, then stepping up to a manager, blah, blah, blah. Um, so she, they asked us, Renee and I, if we wanted to buy it from them. And at that point, we didn't want to buy Garrett's. It wasn't, it just wasn't feasible or anything at that time. So I, I, I feel sorry they had to sell it because they lost everything that they owned, their house, their cars. They moved in. They had two kids. They moved into a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Um, and because Gary, Gary and Diane, honestly, you asked me earlier, they were probably the most amazing people that I have ever worked for. I'm um, glad you built this up, um, and like we well, we don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but like it, what people maybe I know I, I get everybody's out there in the universe that the bar restaurant game is a quote unquote risky business, and it certainly is. It's probably the riskiest. I always say to like anyone I get in business, like look at it in like a five year window, like, and then and you got to be the type of personality who's willing to change your whole life every five years. Now, if you yeah. hit the jackpot and you get like a spot that stays forever, great. But you can go under and if, if you throw all your money into a place and your heart and your soul and it goes under, like this yeah. is this is why we all need to be supporting these bars and restaurants and especially during this time, right? Like, Yeah, 100%. During this time, everyone's got to support the small ones like you, Sugar Run and that. Yeah, you that's, know. that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? But you're yeah. right. You know what I mean? That was the first time I felt so sorry for those guys, that family. But I knew, yeah. you know what, you know, I, I felt terrible. So long story short, they sold it uh, to a couple of guys, uh, Mike and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, anyways, I didn't know these guys. No one knew them. Uh, and then uh, they bought it. And uh, these guys seemed nice up front. They uh, found a place down in Hamilton in Hess Village. Uh, so about, uh, Hess Village, if you're, if uh, the listeners don't know, was... Uh, there was about 15 bars on one little street. It was kind of cool. Uh, you bounce from bar to bar to bar to bar. It was kind of awesome. It's like uh, like Hamilton's version of Bourbon Street, almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, when I was in university, we used to go there because I lived only a couple blocks. It was awesome. It was kind of cool. And that's back then. That's where everyone went. So these guys bought it and uh, bought Garrett's, and that's why I was there. And when they knew my story that I'd gone to university uh, and lived in Hamilton, uh, I lived there right after too excuse me, that, uh, hey, they approached me and said, hey, you want to come down? Do you want to do this? Let's do this. Let's open a place in Hamilton. So knowing that I knew people already in Hamilton, which is a benefit to them because uh, it's more customers. So I said, okay, I'm in. I talked to my uh, then uh, girlfriend at the time uh, to do this. She ended up getting a job. She's a chef. So she went and got a job down in Jordan. So went there, opened it up, helped open it up. It was sort of almost the same, like Missy opening up that. I went in. I threw a little bit of money in, not a whole lot. And uh, I don't want to dwell on this place. We named it Indigo. I uh, took over the back of the, the property. So we expanded it. We made it bigger. Once again, it was kind of a cool little funky spot, like a, like a Garrett's. We had a lot of cool local musicians, but a lot of really good musicians in Hamilton that I wouldn't have known previous when I went to university or uh, hanging out in the bar scene. And uh, one thing led to another. We won't go down that rabbit hole because that's a very long story. Uh, I more or less left them uh, because of blatant lies that they uh, were telling about me and, and what I was doing. And uh, more or less, when they did that, they actually asked me that when you leave, 
please do not tell them that uh, we let you go uh, back in Kitchener Waterloo. Uh, but you know me straight out. I told everybody about these assholes. Okay. Uh, could you, do you want to tell us like an example of a lie they were telling you about? Or would you rather just move on from that? No, I could. Yeah, I can tell you, yeah. you know, so I was down there. So I more or less, I did relocate my life. I moved to Hamilton yeah. again, uh, went and did this. I did everything, you know, I got it up and running and that, you know, it was small. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, bottom line is these guys were complete scammers. These are the guys that we found after that Gary and his wife, when they sold the business to him, they gave him Garrett's for a dollar, uh, but to give their son a job. Uh, what they would do is, you know, those classic people out there that, hey, you can buy 40 haircuts for 50 bucks. Right. They were a scamming company. These right. two were scamming. They used to go down to the U.S. Long story short, Gary's son got a job with them. Gary was happy. He went to the U.S. and uh, he was selling uh, on the university campus. I can't remember what university campus in the U.S. Uh, some haircuts or some whatever it was, a barbershop thing. And uh, he more or less got arrested by the city and mm -hmm. hosed down. And Gary and his wife had to drive down there and get him out of jail. Okay. Um, so when I was at Garrett's, uh, I found out more about this. And they knew that I wasn't happy. And more or less, bottom line is they uh, started telling everybody the reason they fired me was because, and everyone that worked for me knew it wasn't true, and all my friends knew it wasn't true, that I was dealing mass quantities of uh, drugs out of the upstairs of the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Two levels. And uh, <laughs> I literally looked at them, and they said, and you're done. And then at that point, that's when they said, but you can't go and tell anybody back in Kitchener Waterloo when you go back. I said, you know what? You got another okay, yeah. I'm coming right after you, you fuckers. It's funny. That's an underbelly. That happened to me once uh, where somebody threatened to tell, when I was working at the bomb shelter, I had a... Uh, issue with an old roommate that I lived with and he started telling going coming into the bomb shelter we had to kick him out of the house it was like a communal living situation like you do in university and he had he started telling people all over the bomb shelter that um, I was selling drugs out of the bomb shelter and I had that also happen to me at Ethel's where somebody tried to tell people that I was selling drugs out of Ethel's as well and I'm like it's, it's just a, it's just an easy thing because it's a hard thing to disprove Right well, on your yeah. own end. Now I've sold drugs many times in my life at so different occasions. I've never oh, done yeah. it. I've never done it out of a work spot, and I haven't done it in like no. twenty I, plus I, years. I, so it's like, yeah. It's, but I followed, it's, I, I followed the Grateful Dead. That's all I got to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on. Let's move on. Good, good, good segue. Move on. Uh, so you come back to Kitchener Waterloo. So, so yeah, all that went. To, that was after a year or so. You know, it was going well and all that. But I think they were realizing their worlds were colliding. The U.S. was coming back at them. Long story short, they're now not allowed in the U.S. They got charged and all that. Um, so I came back, and you know me, right away, I went and told everybody. I went to the circus room, because I was still rocking. I told everybody there, uh, and I told everyone I knew, and they're like, holy shit. And they're like, screw those guys. That's a, fuck those guys. I went back to Garrett's, where people were working. Uh, Renee was working there at the time. She she quit. Uh, Lindsay, who was the chef at the time, he quit. Uh, he ended up actually charging them. Uh, so then I came back. And the reason when you see when in the bio that I sent you, I worked at the circus room in Mrs. Robinson's. But well, what happened there was, is that the manager, Rob uh, Nickel, who you know, uh, mm -hmm. he was manager and everyone, because I knew all these people like, hey, if you want, if you want a job, we'll hire you right now. We're going to hire you to bartend, come and serve and all that. So I didn't do it because I was kind of thrown back. I was kind of, no word of a lie, I was kind of put off by what happened there. That really sure. 
tainted yeah. me in the industry and I was really pissed off and it was, it was a knock on me and I knew it wasn't me and no one knew that I didn't do that, but it was just, it was it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to fight a fucking rumor mill, man. Like once rumors get started about you, like it, it's, yeah, a, it was it's, terrible. It's, it's a boulder rolling down the hill gathering moss. And and then the rumors keep getting expanded and expanded. It was a bad feeling. And I'm like, yeah. you know, do I want to do this? I'm not backing it up. I know me and everyone knows me. So I went and did a couple shifts at the circus. They were like, I don't want to work here. I went over to a place, uh, Mrs. Robinson's. And I don't know if anyone in your in on your podcast has talked about it. It used to be an old place. Unfortunately, it's burnt down now because uh, of a fire. Uh, but it used to be an old like live music venue, uh, sort of like off downtown, but still in downtown Kitchener. Uh, live music and all that. So I went in there because I knew the guys running it, uh, Mike Coughlin, Metal Mike, and Lino. And uh, he, Lino wanted me to go in because he wanted me to help him try and clean up some old tabs that road. Like there were people there that had helped out set up and start the oh, business. I remember hearing owed, about this. Yeah. That owed like thousands and thousands of dollars. And it was just, it was sort of like it was a free for all. Nothing was accounted for. No one gave a shit. Poor Lino. He was a nice guy. And same with Metal Mike, you know, and they just sort of were overwhelmed. So I just went in as a friend, helped them out, and and then sort of did that. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not liking this. I'm out of here, too. I don't want to do this. You know, met met other good people. You know, so every place I went to, I met more people, met new people. Right. Yeah. You know, met customers, met this and all that. And then, uh, yeah, that was that. And then... Uh, then the uh, the real life started after that. Right. So let's talk about this. This is where where we come into the same to picture at the same time. You you get hired at Ethel's Lounge, and what did I get hired? Like two months after you? Yeah, I think it was about that. Yeah, two months. And then yeah. we worked together there for fuck what fifteen plus years together. Yeah, I yeah oh yeah easily that until you moved on. Well, yeah. you worked and then you quit. Went to that Rogers Communications. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget that day when you told me we were hanging downstairs in the basement of Ethel's doing our cash out that night. And I know it was tough for you. And yeah, that was a tough moment when you said, I'm out of here. Yeah. You and I became very good friends. And yeah. hence, that's where I met all your group of friends, like Dan, that's right beside you, you know, on this mm -hmm. podcast. And, you know, you meet good friends. And when we talked about it, you meet good friends. And that's, well, you know, that, that uh, was it wasn't a joke. Friend. You were my work wife for a decade yeah. plus. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So yeah. I had tried to get a job, long story short, at Ethel's. But Glenn Smith at the time, because Angel Raleigh, who was the manager when we uh, before I got hired, she was the original manager. Uh, Glenn said, "I don't want you to hire any more friends," so I couldn't get a job until Marta Morgan, who was our manager, right. hired me. And Glenn said, "Oh, here we go." And then, yeah, it was about two months after me you got the job. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so uh, Ethel's like uh, we've talked about it a few times on this show, but it's like yeah. uh, obviously. Uh, um, a city staple. It's like the neighborhood bar in Waterloo. Uh, it, it's the whole place just makes its living off regulars. Um, so you see yeah. the same faces every day. But yeah. uh, it was some you want to and some you don't. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just like anywhere else. But yeah. like, what a training ground to turn you into the best version of yourself as a server. Yeah, dude, 100%. I went in there uh, in 1997. So, you know, I was at, uh, you know, 27 years old uh, and it was perfect. You know, I went in there. I was comfortable. I knew a lot of people in the city. You know, it was just one of those things I knew. I'd already hung out at Ethel's before, uh, but it was, it was a training room. And yeah, you know, I, I, heard it, I heard you talking to Jess Sharkey on your podcast and yeah. same for her and same for you, same for all of us that went there, right? Well, you were just forced into such 
large sections oh, yeah. and, like, and having to make, but also making all your own drinks and then delivering yeah. them. And then yeah. the, like the, the spot from like behind the bar or back in the kitchen, um, picking up food to like the, the darkest reaches of the patio on the other side, oh. that, that, that real estate to cover when oh. you have also, we would have like 20 table sections. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Dude. It was fun. Remember that? Crazy. It was, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. But the money, man. <laughs> dude, it was, no, hey, you yeah. know what? And that's yeah. what it was. It was the money. And you know what the thing is? It, and you know, you and I would work and you'd work with someone else. And if they couldn't handle it, you and I'd pick it up. I could handle it. You yeah. could handle it. Yeah. And I remember the amount of times you and I would work. Hey, we'd see you at five or five. We'd start our shifts at five. See you at quarter to five. We'd have a little bite to eat or whatever. Yeah. And then bang. And you know what? If we were busy, okay, we're professionals. We know what we're doing. I may just pass you in the wind, but we'll we might not, we might not talk till two a.m. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're just even busy. though we're working sections right beside each other. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's how busy we would be. Yeah, it was yeah. intense. And I would also like to say this too. Like, first of all, I met all these people, all of the people that you knew through you at that time, because I didn't know any of those people or anybody really in town because yeah. I had just come off out of university, really. Um, yeah, and uh, the. I like met all these great people through you in town that you already knew because you knew fucking everybody. There wasn't a person who came through the door. You know, great crowd. And uh, and also, what like obviously there was such an eclectic group of customers at that place. Oh. Still, still is to this day. Um, so of course, there's so many. You're gonna deal with so many fucking assholes at a place like that. That being said by a percentage of probably 70% to 30 of great people hanging out at that place. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, I honestly can't say enough about that place. You know, I think you and I were both lucky to start there when we were that young. Yes. And we met so many people, like you said, you met a lot of people I knew because I'm from Kitchener, Waterloo, you were, but also vice versa, man. I had a lot. I met a lot of people that you knew in uni- in, yeah. in university, and that yeah. and where you had been, right? Like it's just, it was just, it was at that time the best fucking place in this city, straight out. Because yeah. back then there was really not that many places uptown. You know, you had the Hoother Hotel, which is the staple. It's been there forever. You had the Duke of Wellington. Back then, the old English parlor, whatever that used to change yeah. at the corner there. You know, there weren't really that many. Now uptown no. Waterloo, as you know, has changed a lot. Exploded, but back then, yeah. We were it, man. And Glenn Smith came from Kitchener in a Waterloo. Sonia from the owner of the Hooter hated Glenn. You know, it was just, it was the right time. It was the right time. It was, uh, that was, those were some fun times, my friend. That we, yeah, we, 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 we would bust our ass during a shift. Yeah. And like I said, sometimes that 30% would really get you down over the course of a night. And I think it actually does wear yeah. you down serving the same people for, yeah. like, this is something we haven't talked about before on the show, but you're uniquely qualified to discuss it. Do you feel like, unless it's a place that you specifically own, there's a bit of a shelf life for a bartender, server, manager in a specific spot? Before, yeah, I, yeah, I remember I, the, the, the great Larry Bird once said that uh, he could only coach a basketball team for five years, I think it was, or it was probably even less than that. But... Um, <laughs> That, but th- before they tune you out and stop listening to you, and then they need another voice in the room. And I yeah. feel like that applies to the service industry in a way that where, like, that you should only work a certain number of years at a f- spot if you're not becoming part of ownership or whatever it is, because 
just it's just human nature to get tired of the same faces, even if they're great faces, even if you love those people, seeing the same people over and over again all the time. That's just like that's why people have office feuds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you, you're totally right. Right. You know, we get you know, I think the thing is, and I think you can attest to this, too. Uh, we are all there a long time and there's still people that are still at Ethel's when we are there. Yeah. That we got comfortable. Yeah. We all became comfortable and compliant and complicit. And you know what? As we know, the money was great there. We yeah. all made well. The customers took care of us, you know. But, yeah, there is a time where you're like, okay, it's the same thing. Am I going to be here till the day I'm dead? Like, am I going to be here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, well, it's, and, you know? and actually, Glenn, when he was on the podcast, called both of us out on for that exact same reason, actually. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. oh, don't worry, I heard that. Yeah, yeah but it's like, but it's, but it's true. Yeah, like, yeah, I think if we're both being honest with ourselves, we would agree with that to a certain extent. Yeah. But it's a time where, though, I mean, you and I had probably, we could both, I, I don't think I'm speaking for you when I say like the best part of our serving career was spent in that spot. 100%. Yeah. I would not even say anything. 100%. That was the best part of my career in this industry. Yeah. Which but, there's time, but there's a time, but there's a time where you got to so go. Much, you got to go. It was so much fun, man. It was, yeah. it was exactly what I said earlier when we were talking that, you know, you do one shift the next day, whatever happened. Cause a lot of shit happened there. The next day, it was whatever it was. Hey, you start over again. And that's, yeah. why, that's where I started realizing this is it. I'm in. I'm all in. This is it. Yeah, you have 12 moles of stock ales after work, and oh, you, you come that? back the next day. <laughs> we got bought out by moles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, that's a funny story. That, uh, And I don't know how... Um, I don't know how common this is in the industry. It was the first time I'd ever heard of it. But we actually got approached by... Because... Uh, <laughs> Greg and I used to always drink Labatt 50. And we everybody knew that we'd be drinking Labatt 50 while we were in the bar if we were off work. Um, sometimes while we were on work. No, no, that didn't happen, Glenn. Um, red no. cup, red cup. Red, red cups don't exist. Um, the, but we would always drink Labatt 50. Greg and I, for some reason, we liked that fucking strong Canadian ale and uh, old man ale. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> We drank so much, but uh, Ethel's was a, a Molson-sponsored bar. So all the taps were Molson. And there was a time where almost the entire bottle fridge was Molson. Um, yep. And we uh, got approached by reps from Molson Brewery to, be, to say, like, what do we got to do to get you guys to start drinking some Molson beer? And you and I actually had to have a sit-down serious conversation about what Molson beer we could tolerate. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to drink, right? <laughs> and then we remembered this old beer, Molson Stock Ale. Um, and we started, so we're like, okay, we'll come back with Stock Ale. And they said, they what did they give us? How many cases of beer did they give us each? I think they gave us each eight or nine free cases each. Of beer. If, of if, beer. If, if we agreed to, to convert to drink it. You remember, you remember the Molson rep at that time said, you know what? People watch what bar, and it's true. People watch what the bartenders met drink after. Yeah. And they want to buy us a drink after. Oh, what are you drinking? 50. Okay, I'll have a 52 back then. Yeah. So if we switch over, it was beneficial for them, right? Yeah. Oh, you got to drink Stock Hill? I'll drink Stock Hill. So yeah, I think it was that many cases of beer he gave us. Yes. And, and, and it also speaks to how popular that bar was because for them yeah. to, to care that bartenders there 
would have that much influence, right? We, it was obvious because it was a very busy bar. But yes. yeah, they gave us eight cases of beer each to switch. And we were like, okay, well, what, what are we going to do? And then we remembered old Molson Stock Ale. And like, I am not 100% sure about this, but I feel like we have a little bit to do with the researches of that beer in Ontario because we know places in town served that beer. I think the Rex in Toronto served it. And that was the only other place. And the Le- the, I, sorry to interrupt. I think yeah. the Legion had it too at one okay. time. And all of a sudden we, I remember they came back to us after we cut that deal with them. And all of a sudden Molson Stock Ale was one of the, like we, Ethel's Lounge sold more Molson Stock Ale than anywhere in Canada, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, in, in, in Ontario, we were, I think Ethel's was a second or first. We beat it out, seller of Molson Stock Hill. And literally, I think, man, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to say we're yeah. the creators or we're the instigators. But it, uh, it literally, I, I, you're right. Well, let's oh. go with it. Let's just say we were, because fuck it. We're on the podcast now. So we'll take credit. We were, we fucking were. And then all yeah. of a sudden, <laughs> every single bar started carrying it. All of yeah. a sudden, Jane Bond, great little pub, vegetarian myself on Princess Street, and up one started carrying. It yeah, because we'd all go there. Next, thing you know, everyone started carrying it, and then fuck, I, all of a sudden, it's now on tap. It's like everywhere, right? That's right. So, okay, we'll just go ahead and take credit for it then. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Good job, buddy. We did it. Yeah. Congratulations, man. They should have cut us a check for this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you feel like we got undersold by the eight cases now? Yeah, I think we did. Where was our agent? Waters, right? And he was the Molson's rep. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was Pat Waters was the Molson's. Oh, yeah. Pat Waters. Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about so that. So he used to be both of yeah. well, he used, to, he used to be roommates with both Dan that's and I nice. at different times. Uh, he, he's a cop now, so fuck that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, at any rate, uh, so you eventually become a manager at Ethel's uh, yeah. for a long time. And then at what point did you decide that you just needed to move on? Yeah, so, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I worked there for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I managed it. Uh, I was given the opportunity to manage it and that. And then, uh, honestly, there, you know, I always said to myself that in the industry, at any point that I start bitching and bickering, I bitched a lot, but I started getting angry at customers and approaching them in a wrong, negative way and snap at them, whether they were a local that was there every day from 11 o'clock, banging on the door if it wasn't open at 11.01. At that point where I said, if I start yelling at them and, and losing my my temper, my, my sanity on them is the point where I now have to realize I got to figure out what I got to do because that's not fair on those people. Right. It, 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 because obviously it's me and that's yeah. what it is. And there's other issues. It's not them. Right. They're the ones providing my lifestyle. What I have right now and what I own right now is no more to lie because of working at others. Yeah, me too. Straight up, bar none. So, and then, you know what? I was, I was, I, as my age went on and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm getting older. And I'm not saying, Hey, you can, Everyone should stay in this industry until you're fucking 80, 70 years old if you can do it because it's fun. Like I said, every day is a new day. But I started getting a lot of pain. I ended up getting plantar fasciitis. Oh, uh, in my I had that shit too. Yeah. And, oh. and literally, I was icing my foot. I was popping Advils. I was using an ice bottle after. I had a cane. I couldn't walk. There were days that I couldn't even get up and work. And I started realizing I came home one day and I was so angry. I did a lot of drinking. 
I did that stuff that Jerry and Garcia and everyone likes, smoked a lot of weed. And then I just, I had a moment where I'm like, I can't go back next summer and rock on Athol's patio. I physically can't. And that's my job. As much as I was a manager, but I was a working manager. Yeah, you were a working so manager. I, yeah, so I knew I couldn't do it. I, and I had that moment where like, holy shit, what the hell am I going to do? So I, that, I, remember, I clearly remember that night. I was sitting in my home. I went on the computer. I went on to that Indeed or whatever. I've never done Indeed before. And this was just me. I applied to Waste Management in Kitchener-Waterloo. I applied to FedEx. I applied to UPS. And I shot a message out to Mill Street Brewery, who we knew as we sold at Ethel's. I shot out a text message to Harry, uh, the rep who was with Steam Whistle. Mm-hmm. I shot out a message to Paul Aquilina, who was the Wellington Brewery rep, who we all had on tap. And in cans and that, or not on top of that time, but in cans and bottles and realize, hey, is anyone hiring? And that was it. Sorry, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Kept working, limping. Next thing you know, this this would have been July that I did it in 2014. And then in January, I literally got a text message from Paul Aquilina from Wellington Brewery and said, hey, this was in January 2015. Remember that text you sent me in July and the end of July, beginning of August? You still thinking? And that was a turning point right there then. Okay. Well, before we get into that specifically, I just want to say to cap to Ethel's career is that I did work alongside you for 15 years easily. Um, And I've said this before. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. There are two ways that there are two ways that people are tend to be good at servers as servers, either they're really fast and efficient and productive, or they tend to be really great, friendly people who are great talkers. And it's very rare that you get both in the same package. And you are the best I ever worked with at doing, at doing both, man. So uh, it's, a, it's a loss of the service industry that you had to move on because of injury. But like, but uh, like, I've worked in this business for 30 years, and you were the one who encapsulated those two ways of being a server better than anyone I've personally worked with anyway. So oh, you, my friend, and you taught me a lot as well. So let's talk about your training. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, well, it's great. But you, you know that, man. It's the truth, man. Uh, okay. So let's talk about your transition. So then you go to work for the brewery and now you're on the other side of the line where you're, you're selling, you're, you're, you're watching the watchers. You're selling the beer to the, <laughs> to the yeah, right. beer sellers. Yeah, so- I think you and I had this conversation, you and I at Ethel's when we worked and, Hey, would you ever be a beer rep? Would you be a rap, beer rep? And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to go and do that. I don't want to do that. Cause you know what? My beer rep vision was always Molson guys. And you know, Molson yeah. guys. Like, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. But then, you know what? Wellington was a, is, is, and still is the oldest independently owned uh, craft beer company in Canada. And it's out of Guelph, Ontario? It's out of Guelph, Ontario. That's correct. And they're still in the same location that they've been in. So, you know, and and when we were at Ethel's, you know, craft beer was there, but it wasn't it. But there's there was that transition. It started happening. And, I, you know, so I made the transition. I went over to become a rep. And I'd never been a sales rep. Right? I'd worked in retail, like I said earlier. I've worked in uh, serving uh, servers, you know. So I can talk. I know how to talk. And at to the people. end of the day, uh, if you're a server, you're a salesman, right? So yeah, hundred percent. Especially yeah. if you're good at it, like you know, right, yeah. What do you mean you don't want to fuck another shot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you mean you want uh, bottom shelf when you could have top shelf? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. 
So, okay. So, and tell me, like, you've been doing this for how many years now? Uh, repping, I've, uh, uh, it is, uh, it was five years, May 4th. It's that long, really? Fuck. Yeah, five, isn't that before. crazy? Yeah. And five years already. And tell me about the transition. I know it's a lot of hours on the road. Like, what do you, what do you like about it? What do you hate about it? Yeah, you know, once again, it's freedom. I get to, yeah. you know, I get to choose what I want to do. Um, you know, this is different that I can make up my hours. I can go whenever I want. Like if I don't want to go and work one day and I want to sit at home and work for my computer or whatever, I can do that. Um, the hours, you know, but I, I now, back when I worked in the industry, I'd wake up at uh, one in the afternoon because I go to bed at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes seven, as you know, and not show up for a shift, and, or sometimes not show up for a shift the next day at five o'clock and make the right work for me. That's yeah. another story down that old hall. Yeah, uh, but you know that one, Saunders. <laughs> but that's, uh, you know what? Now I get up early. I like the days, so I, I get to make my own schedule. So now I'm on the road. That's right. So now you know I've been given a truck. I I now go. It was a transition because I'm I've never been a rep. I've never had to do that side of it. I know I could do it because I can talk. And like you said, if you're serving, you're talking and you're selling. So this is the same thing, but I had to learn about the industry. I had to learn about doing sales. How do I sell to people? What can I do for them? You know, they want stuff from me. I, so my benefit was, and you said it right, I'm now on the other side. But the, my benefit and the reason I think Wellington got it, uh, that Paul and Brent, uh, Brent is the owner of Wellington Brewery, the reason they got me in is, because I do know that side. I do know yeah. the service side. I do know the manager, the bar side, the behind the scenes, and know. So when I go out, I can feel it. Like if I came to you, Kip at Sugar Run, and I can get that feeling, and you're like, well, you know, yeah, it's good. I I can read people. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I'm good. Or if someone tells me, hey, contact me in a month, you know what I did? I go into my truck, I pull up my phone, I put it in my calendar, I said, contact so and so. Don't bother them because you yeah. know what? I know how it is. You know how it was yeah. and it is. I don't want to talk to you. I told you I don't want to talk to you for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I um, take that. I have a benefit that way. And, and and just as an aside, if anybody listens to this podcast who actually owns a brewery or a distillery or a distribution company, by please, I cannot recommend enough as a bar owner to hire people who have already done the fucking job. Like it, because I, I have dealt with so many reps who have never done the job and you can fucking tell like that just the cluelessness, the times they show up, the, the way they harass you. Like it's exactly what you said, like, you know, you know, cause you've done the job. When is a good time to talk to somebody? Like what is a good thing to talk to them about? How is my product? Does my product even make sense in your fucking place? Like, you know, oh, you're totally right. And that's it. You know what? And I'm not going to name names. I know a lot. I've met, you know, now in five years, I've met a lot of reps out there. And no word of a lie, I come home and I'll say to my wife, I'll be like, are you fucking kidding? I just met this guy. How is this person a rep? You have no idea. You've never worked in this industry. It'd be like me throwing me that's never been anything other than the hospital industry, other than retail, and saying, eh, fuck, I, you know what? I'm going to become a mechanic. I'm going to go and work yeah, on cars. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I don't know jack shit about yeah, it. Yeah. It's like throwing someone into it. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Oh no! I go into I, I go into bars and restaurants because I eat and drink in them. Well, you don't know jack shit about it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it goes for like what we were saying earlier about people decide they can just suddenly own, open a bar. It's just like, yeah. It, like yeah. it's like it's like you said. Like I let's I'm interested in music. I'm not going to go open a fucking recording studio. Like <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's so. exactly it. Like so so I did have a benefit. I did have an edge up. And you know what? I remember I I'm not gonna say the rep's name. I'd love to say it. And I'm sure if they ever <laughs> listen to this, they're gonna know. This donkey went out and worked. <laughs> Honestly, they talked to me and they're like, hey, what are you doing today? I said, well, you know what? We're going into a long weekend. And this is Friday. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, no, I'm going here for lunch. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I just, what do you mean? You're not working? I said, I can guarantee you that no bar owner wants to talk to you going into the first long weekend of the fucking summer no. about changing up his fucking beer lineup. When you go on a long weekend, like I've told so many people, they don't want to talk to you. They're not switching up their lineup. That's not what's happening right now. No, uh, you're I, taking the I, day off. You're going to go out and go and support them. I think I told you this before, but I once had a rep come uh, on New Year's Eve to try and sell me some new shit. On New Year's Eve, as we're trying to set up for fucking New Year's Eve, like, what are you talking about? Right? I don't have time to talk to you right now. Nor right? am I making any changes on New Year's Eve. Like, no, it's, no, I know. Uh, yeah, it's just it's pretty unbelievable to me, but. It is my benefit and it is my bonus that I have been in the industry. I have managed yeah. that for that long. I've seen that. I've gotten stuff, you know, and it's like you just don't know. Like you said earlier about people coming in to apply for a job and hitting me a resume at six o'clock. And then yeah. you can see the bar is like two people deep or one person deep. It's like, okay, cool. Obviously, you don't understand the industry. So your resume or whatever is going right into the right garbage. Right, right, right. You don't understand it, right? So. Well, it's, I, it's amazing to me that it's been five years already, but in that short five years, you've already made uh, gained quite a reputation in our city for being pretty much the best beer rep that anyone has going. You'll come and help people out on a dime. Because we, we as owners and managers fuck up all the time and don't order the right amount of beer or forget to order it. And you'll, like, even though it's annoying to you, and I know it is, you'll still be like, there won't even be an argument. It'll be like, I'll be there. Here's the keg. I'm going to bring it to you by myself, uh, myself. Like that's, that's the stuff that people value. And that's why you're just as good at this job as you were at your last. Um, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, you are my old work wife. It was great to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Damn right. uh, yeah, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Like I said, best server I ever worked with. Uh, cheers, buddy. Right back at you. Thanks for having me on. And you know what? Dan, Kip, we'll have another welly, but, Anyone out there, start drinking Wellington Brewery. Support local. Support your local beer. Support your local craft. Support your local florist. Support everyone local because if we don't do it now, we may not be there after we come out of this. And I must say, I'm very happy we did not talk about COVID. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, sorry. Hey, ahead. one last question. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get to do that? On Instagram and uh, yeah, I, so I'm uh, my all my handles are at Welly Greg. Uh, so I have an Instagram handle, Welly Greg. I have Twitter, Welly Greg. That's W-E-L-L-Y. W-E-L-L-Y and then G-R-E-G. Uh, yeah. Follow me, follow Wellington, support everybody, support all your local. And really that's what we can all do. And, you know, forget the big chains and forget the big people because right now more than ever and more than ever moving forward, we need this. So Thanks, Greg. Uh, uh, just a final note uh, for anyone listening. I uh, usually say this at the top of the show, but we're going to say at the bottom. If you like what we're doing here, if you're interested in the show, the best way you can help us is to follow us at The Industry Podcast on Instagram and then go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Um, downloads are what helps us out. Um, and if you want to rate and review, if you have time to do that, that's even better. Uh, 
unless you're going to give us one star, then just don't bother. But, uh, <laughs> that, but uh, also, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so help us out that way. That would be great. And if, again, I always say, if, if you are in the service industry and we don't know you personally and you are interested in coming on the show and telling your story, uh, please DM us, hit us up at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Thanks again, Greg. Great to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too, guys. Peace out. Have a great night, man. Okay. Thanks, man.